Dealing with mess can feel like an impossible task. It just keeps coming back. Well, today we're brought to you by the organization experts, IKEA. IKEA knows we all have those areas in our homes consumed by mess, whether it be that chair that collects all your clothes or the monstrous pile under your bed. That's why IKEA makes affordable wardrobe organizers, underbed storage, and other solutions to help you easily take back that chair and conquer the mess monster under your bed. Visit IKEA to explore more. You can't afford mess, so IKEA makes storage affordable. This is episode 10 of The Bowery Boys, The Central Park Zoo. <laughs> hey, it's The Bowery Boys. Hey. Bowery Boys is brought to you by Euro Cheapo. Euro Cheapo editors personally visit and review the best budget hotels in Europe. Now with hotels in New York City. On the web at eurocheapo.com. Hello and welcome to the Bowery Boys. My name is Greg Young. And I'm Tom Myers. And we appreciate you ever so for tuning in once again and for another episode. Yes, and for joining us here on episode 10. That's uh, unbelievable. 10 of them. And we're celebrating number 10 with a look at a very quaint little area of Manhattan, the Central Park Zoo. And it has a crazy history chock full of uh, fun stories. And so just kick back and get ready to hear some weird stuff. (laughs) And, And know that if you stick around at the end of the podcast in about 15 minutes, we're going to have a top 10 list for you. It's our own 10 Most famous animals from the zoo, from its history, uh, dating back about 120 years. Uh, You'll be surprised. You may have even heard a couple of these little creatures. You might even be frightened. (laughs) So stay tuned. We're going to the zoo. So, Tom... You were just at the zoo, uh, what, a couple days ago? I did go to the zoo, as a matter of fact, on Sunday. Refamiliarize yourself, I guess. And let's just say that New Yorkers and tourists alike from around the world do love their zoo. It was packed with people. Uh, The zoo, for those of you who don't know, is on 64th Street, I guess would be the, the main entrance in Fifth Avenue in the southeast corner of Central Park. Very accessible from the street, though. It's not It's not in the center of Central Park. It's no, not at all. Right. And it's funny because a lot of people walk by on Fifth Avenue and don't even know that the zoo is back there because it, it's hiding behind this, this imposing brick building called the mm-hmm. Arsenal. Mm-hmm. And so you can't really see it. You can sort of see it, but if you, I guess you need to be looking for it. Um, but it is made up of three main sections surrounding a, a sea lion pool in the in the middle. It has a number of distinctions. It's um, considered by many to be the crown jewel of Central Park, really, and because this is it's a it's a fabulous zoo that's nestled into just five and a half acres of Central Park and probably at least some of the world's most expensive real estate. <laughs> oh, definitely across the street, people are you know paying millions and millions of dollars just to live in mm. the same block. And monkeys live. get to live there for free. <laughs> exactly. So, it, no, but it's a, it's a wonderful place uh, that is still a, one of the top tourist attractions in the city. And uh, I would encourage anybody to go, um, maybe not on a Sunday afternoon, but uh, during the week if you can. And it's uh, it's because part of the reason, part of its cachet is just it's a you know because it is a small zoo. I mean, there are other zoos in mm. all the other boroughs that are obviously much bigger with a greater number of animals. But it's just the fact that it's in 
Central Park and it's accessible and it's around all these amazing buildings. And it's also it's it's the second oldest. Right. The second zoo. largest or second oldest zoo in the country. Um, it, and it's actually a place that has it didn't it wasn't built. It just happened. So right. the story of it is actually pretty unusual. It starts actually with this building that's called the Arsenal, which Tom just mentioned, which was built in 1847. This is actually kind of the story of like. The little pretty building that was saved by a bunch of animals. So this arsenal was built to store ammunitions in, you know, even presumably for the Civil War. But pretty soon it was taken over by the city. And so the ammunitions were taken out. Building sort of ran into a little bit of disrepair. It it did become the uh, Natural History Museum for a little while. Okay. Uh, There was actually even some paleontologists who actually put together dinosaur bones inside of the arsenal for wow. a while but it's the building itself is in a little bit of a state of repair as a matter of fact there's this uh, a diarist by the name of George Templeton Strong in 1859 said that hideous state arsenal building he hoped the eyesore would soon be destroyed by an accidental fire but what happened no accidental fire instead some animals came so now did they just show up one day kind of, yeah so the the story legend legend starts um with this little bear cub that had just been left oh. in the park, and so the mess, a park messenger boy, picked it up and s- took care of it. And now so, who, who would have left a bear in the park? I mean, how does that happen? Well, it's not just a bear. So what happened is sort of like people started leaving other animals. They're like, oh, well, this is the place to deposit animals. And so a lot of you know rich, a lot of it was a lot of new money. So right. a lot of people were buying animals and taking them and realizing they couldn't take care of them. So right. then they would donate them to this area that slowly so was, developed around the arsenal. It was really fashionable at this time to to really collect as exotic an animal collection as, as you could afford, I guess, right? Exactly, but really no one could take care of them. So right. you had... Like a bear sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun until you get <laughs> it back to bear, your one-bedroom exactly. apartment. right? So, I mean, pretty soon there was like a huge cluster of swans donated. Then surf, like, even like famous people came along. General Sherman... Mm-hmm. From Civil War, he brought over an Afri- African Cape buffalo. Basically, what happened were these animals just sort of collected, and so they finally decided, well, this is a menagerie, and so they just put them together, so people can actually go to it. And they kept some of the bigger animals in the basement of the arsenal. Oh, right. So anyway, so yeah, so some more famous people who donated things to the menagerie included P.T. Barnum, mm-hmm. uh, who would leave his animals there, sometimes permanently, but would leave them there in the winter, and his trainers would work on them there. Uh, Custer gave a rattlesnake. He tethered water buffalo to local to a tree next door. And, and what was happening in the arsenal? I mean, you had this weird collection of animals gathering in the back of the building, and then downstairs you had some, like, bears. I mean, what, upstairs it was just going, it, was, it belonged to the city, and it was just offices? Right. Well, yes, it, it, it just ended up own, being owned by the city. But that was part of the reason why people left the animals in front of it. They were like, well, the city will take care of it. It was like an orphanage for animals. <laughs> kind of. Uh, so they eventually built a little menagerie. The, the, um, the first Sea lions were actually uh, the little circular place for the sea lions were in 1874. And they actually had all these animals in these cages, but they were just really terribly put together. Like, I mean, just really big, thick bars. Animals just look miserable. So, and I think we should note though that it was in 1864 when the state legislature of New York actually authorized uh, the City Parks Commission to build a real zoo. 
you know, I think that they, they caught wind of the fact that there was a growing animal crisis behind their arsenal building, <laughs> and it, they had to do something about it. And they actually, the state legislature set aside 60 acres of Central Park that were going to be designated to be the new zoo. Mm-hmm. Now, as I mentioned before, the current Central Park Zoo is five and a half acres. So you can imagine how big that would have been. Well, it would have been a pretty cool zoo to go to, but, you know. Does, would there have been any park left? <laughs> yeah. But so anyway, the, so the condition, because it was just sort of like, I'm sorry, a half-ass zoo. It, the, the condition, they only had half an ass? <laughs> it wasn't thought out properly. So, which brings us to the Central Park Zoo hoax. Oh, uh, which famous. happened in 1874. There was a newspaper called the New York Herald, and the editor of the newspaper, James Gordon Bennett, you know, would used to brag and say, "Well, I can print anything in my newspaper, and I and it'll make people just stay at home the next day." Just you know, he just had that kind of power. So he wrote a, an article. It was sort of a kind of a an old time daily news, you know, like John Stewart sort of thing. Mm. It was clearly a parody article. The headline screamed. Escaped animals roam streets of Manhattan. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, and apparently, the articles went and said that all these animals escaped, and there was like a, there was a, a rhinoceros had fallen into the sewer. The police and the National Guard were battling the beasts, but it was a bloody and fearful carnival. Uh, 27 people died, and 200 were injured. Okay, okay so well, this I mean, in it's the funny newspaper. until they say that people have died. <laughs> Where, there was no disclaimer? Well, you know, here's the thing. So the end of the article, if you, if you read all the way to the end, here's the thing. If you read all the way to the end, Without it panicking. clearly says the entire story given above is a pure fabrication. However, most people didn't read all the way to the end because they were like, what? Because they, they heard a lion coming up the stairs. So people totally panicked. Uh, you know, armed men like went into the streets. The editor of the New York Times himself ran out of his home waving pistols in the air <laughs> and berated the p- cops for like n- for letting this happen. Uh, but it didn't, you know, but obviously it didn't really happen. It just sort of s- the city, city kind of went to a standstill. So, And what was the purpose of this? I mean, except to scare the city silly? Well, part of that was to sort of like underscore in sort of a satirical way the condition of this of the zoo that like well this could happen and but the funny part is the the newspaper didn't even apologize for it they're like well we said at the bottom it was fake <laughs> and they probably sold a bunch of copies i mean come on and one quick thing about about this in particular uh about a month later there was a political cartoon in a local newspaper about Ulysses S. Grant, who was the president at the time. And he was pictured as an ass with... Here we go again. And there was other political figures, and one of them was pictured as an elephant. So... Uh, and it, they were all seen running, chasing animals into the Central Park Zoo. This ad actually reached a little bit of notoriety, and it's actually where we trace our elephant for the Republican Party. Right back to the Central Park Zoo? Yes, sort of indirectly, but I thought that was kind of an interesting little tie-in. Well, take the- that, <laughs> listener. Do you see the gravity of today's podcast? In the decades before the Civil War, slavery's grip on America tightened. But soon, a diverse group of abolitionists, both black and white, began to construct a clandestine path to freedom for the enslaved. Hosted by Lindsey Graham, 
Wondry's podcast, American History Tellers, takes you to the events, times, and people that shaped America and Americans, our values, our struggles, and our dreams. In the latest series, American History Tellers explores the Underground Railroad, a covert network of secret routes and safe houses operated by men and women committed to helping enslaved people escape bondage in the South. Fugitive slaves and anyone helping them face terrible violence and even death if caught. But for those brave enough to risk the journey, the Underground Railroad offered a path to the northern states and Canada, where their freedom was assured. Follow American History Tellers on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge this season's American History Tellers, The Underground Railroad, early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. Exactly. So, but as we said, so the the condition of the zoo was pretty awful. So, essentially what happened is they just uh, they decided to redo it. But they didn't decide that for a while and if you actually flip through, we've got some books here, Central Park Zoo photographs and if you look back at these photos from the time the, it looks pretty. I mean, you have these little Victorian buildings. They're sort of clustered behind the arsenal all over the place. But you those have... bars, they just look so oppressive. But yeah, it's very adorable. Well, that was the point. Yeah, I know. I mean, that's just what they looked like back then. That was They didn't really understand that animals right, need to move. And this was a, it was a zoo that had just sort of sprouted. Many, many buildings, cages, penned-in areas all over the place behind the arsenal. So I guess we've hammered home that point. And... <laughs> It did. It stayed that way until... But who came in? Who flew to the rescue? Well, it's one of our New York City superstars who we've um, already mentioned in a previous podcast, our friend, Parks Commissioner Robert Moses. Uh-huh. Yeah, last time we heard from him in a podcast, he was sort of a little bit of a villain in our Washington Square Park podcast. Yes, However, he was actually trying to run Fifth Avenue straight <laughs> through uh, the arch and pretty much rip out the park. But, but but actually, in this story, he's a little bit more of a hero, so to speak. Well, right. So the menagerie, the whatever, the half-baked zoo was behind the arsenal through uh, the 1930s, actually, into 1930s. In 1934, Moses took over, over as the parks commissioner uh, and he set up his office inside said arsenal, and he announced that he was going to tear down the menagerie and all of the weird buildings behind it and construct a modern storybook zoo. I mean, this is how he he operated. You know, he would make these grandiose announcements, and he would do it. <laughs> he would he would do it. He had the money and the power. He hired a big team. He actually paid for the top architects uh, double the going rate at the time, $80 a week, mm-hmm. which was unheard of at the time. And he, from the date that he announced that they were going to rip it down and start anew uh, until the first opening day of the zoo, it was less than a year. So, I mean, this guy knew how to work, and he had a large workforce. And it was completely demolished and re- rebuilt from the ground up. Apparently. Yeah, he pretty much, yeah, he, he trashed it. He had this new idea, really, of a quadrangle of brick and limestone buildings that were constructed around um, a sea lion pool. And he hired the architect, uh, Amar Embury II, who did also the Triborough Bridge and the Henry Hudson Bridge uh, to, huh. to work on this. And even hired a special sea lion pool architect who had studied the ways that the sea lions. Oh, were that's swimming. right. I read that uh, it was 
sort of like a novel idea to actually study how sea lions swimmed and design a space in which was convenient for them. I mean, why would you think about an animal's <laughs> habitat and natural? You know? And so it was actually like really extraordinary for the time that it was it was sort of like comfortable for the sea lions to actually be in. Right. They they didn't really carry that through too far with no. the other animals who were really much you know just trapped behind bars. The elephants and the polar bears and now uh, yeah. the chimps. Yeah, on opening day, uh, December 2nd, 1934, huge crowds gathered, and the crowds got larger every single day. It was a big, big success. Uh, we should also mention that he hired lots of artists, as with all these WPA, um, many of these WPA projects, artists were used as muralists, as ceramic artists, and there were great, great uh, right. works that were built that are still on display today. They're still there. There's a lot of sculptures, those, those eagle sculptures. Right. What was the birdhouse and what's now a gift shop has all these great little carvings that are really cute along the side of it. Exactly. But you have to watch where you step. They called this the storybook zoo, really, Robert Moses, because he was presenting most of the stars of the animal kingdom. You know, they were there, they were easily accessible, and they were in a very small area. You could walk from building to building, pretty much see it all. But of course, like most things else, um, in Central Park, it fell into disrepair as the years dragged on, especially into the 19, late 70s. Well, yeah, nothing really, nothing really went into the 1970s in very good repair, did it? In New York City. <laughs> well, we're going to explore that topic later. But it finally in 1980, mm-hmm. uh, the, it was the Wildlife Conservation Society that signed an agreement with the City Parks Department to take it over and run it for themselves. They were going to really rescue the zoo, and they shut it down, and they right. demolished a mm-hmm. bunch of the buildings, and they decided to take a new approach to the zoo. So the new, the new right. zoo opened up in 1988, and it was, a, again, a huge success, and... Receives over a million visitors every year. It kind of brought some confidence back to Central Park. I mean, you know, there was still there's there was still a lot of hesitation for just normal New Yorkers to kind of go back into Central Park because of just all the awful things that happened in the seventies and the early eighties. So, and as you visit today, I mean, again, you will see that it is it's appreciated and visited by all ages and all types from all over the world. And you can really see, you can't see every kind of animal though today. Well, they don't have the big animals anymore with the exception of the polar bear. They took most of the bigger animals away, but they've specialized now in smaller, but more endangered creatures, like creatures like including like the, the tamarind monkey. Right. And I think there's some leaf cutter ants and yeah. exotic birds. Well, and there's, you know, the, the pandas, those red pandas, the ones that don't really look like pandas, but they're called but pandas. But they're called pandas. But they're right. cute anyway. But yeah. But yeah, I didn't know what there. those were. <laughs> Like, but I was yeah. impressed. They look like monkeys, but they're not. They're pandas. Right. Well, they have it divided into three different sections. So they have three buildings, Tropic, Temperate, and Arctic. And so you walk really around. I mean, in Tropic, you walk into a rainforest, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. I mean, you're standing in Central Park, and then you walk into a rainforest, and you're seeing all these parrots and these wild exotic birds flying around, and then some snakes. Well, that's kind of <laughs> grody. And then you walk out, and you're in the temperate zone. Right, right, right. Yeah. But it's just because it's so small. I think that's why it's such an intense place. It's but. so easy. Yeah, that's the thing. It's really great. And by the time you get to the polar, you're thrilled, of course, because you see the little penguins running around. And of course, our big friend, the polar bear, doing backstrokes. 
He sure. is a ham. These, well, these, these animals are performers. Yes. Well, we're going to hear about him in a second. He might make our top 10 list. Oh. Um, so wait, so if, if you want to visit the, the zoo, if you're in town or if you live here, or you're yes, going to come back. Yes, please swing by. The entrance is at 64th and 5th Avenue. And it's open every day, I think. It costs $8. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is open every day. I think you're right. Yeah. $8 for adults and $3 for children. Well, we've held you in suspense for for too long. I'm going to give you the top ten most famous animals of the Central Park Zoo, the big stars. And I don't know. Greg has been withholding these from me, and I'm very you know eager. a couple, but I haven't. You know, this we're doing it in chronological order. I don't think it would be fair to like say like, "Oh, you're the tenth most famous animal." Sorry, we're not going to do anything like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> that voice, yeah. Okay, so so number one, the first elephant that was ever in the Central Park Zoo was donated by P.T. Barnum in 1877. His name was Tom Thumb. Oh, yes. Tom Thumb, of course, was a P.T. Barnum's sort of famous midget at the time, so the elephant was named after the famous little person. Well, that would be an honor. The first chimpanzee actually ever shown in the United States was actually at Central Park Zoo. Uh, I'm not quite sure of the date he was donated, but his name, for some reason, was Mike Crowley. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sounds like an insurance salesman. <laughs> or my dentist. Uh, uh, the th- actually, the third, number three on the list, who I think is actually the most well-known of the animals, his name is Black Diamond. Right. He's an right. American the- buffalo. And the reason that people know him is that, well, for a while anyway, you could fish in your pocket and pull him out because he was the model on the buffalo nickel. Right. And that was Black Diamond. Number four, Volstead. Mm-hmm. Volstead was a two-humped camel now they they had two humped camels for since the beginning of the central park zoo but then they all died out the last one was was he died in 1930 his name was volstead his obituary made time magazine that's how significant his his death was i guess number five patty cake oh patty cake is a baby gorilla who was born in 1972 they didn't realize that her mother lulu was actually pregnant the zookeeper walked by one day and lulu just held up this little ball of fur and it moved around and they realized oh that's a baby so patty cake was an extremely popular as you can imagine i mean look what they're doing at canute and the polar bear in brooklyn i mean Berlin. berlin um patty cake actually got moved up to the to the Bronx Zoo, and she's the matriarch of all the uh, gorillas now. Right, so I've heard. She's a very big star there. Number six on my list is Tina, the angry elephant. In 1983, when they actually moved all the big animals out, Tina was a very grumpy elephant, just didn't get along with other animals. They had to basically sedate her. She broke chains. She knocked employees down. They couldn't move her. So they eventually just had to like tranquilize her, and then they finally shipped her over to a, a California wildlife reserve so number seven breezy the sea lion who died in she just died this year actually she was the oldest california sea lion ever in a zoo right and then my two favorite the two that are still living the two that you can still visit number eight is gus the depressed polar bear he was de- he was de- he was depressed he, he, he kept Aww. walking around with his head down and like people were wondering why like why was he why is he going these mood swings gus why he's a new york is like woody allen what but what they did is they gave him a jacuzzi they they put basically they put bubbles in his water and that sort of like i guess Works it improved his circulation and he's back to normal and he's a big star i saw him swimming the backstroke he was amazing and finally number nine and ten on my list roy and silo 
the gay pinstriped penguins. They were international <laughs> superstars. <laughs> they were uh, apparently, you know, s- you know, seen being companions, and they adopted this abandoned penguin egg, and they raised it, you know, raised it from birth, and were together for a couple years. And you know, it was a, it was a, it was a happy story. Well, but you know. People debated on Fox News and CNN about it. I mean, it became some sort of like... Foxes alle- like penguins? <laughs> it became an allegory, you know, for other things. Uh, unfortunately, old Silo was the Anne Heche of penguins because he broke up with Roy and started dating another penguin, a female penguin named Scrappy. But oh. Roy and Silo are still friends. Such is the way... A um, podcast ends... <laughs> With a little bit of a heartbreak. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to our Central Park Zoo podcast. We uh, we appreciate you staying here to the end. Uh, if you haven't checked out our website, and I really hope you do, it's BoweryBoysPodcast.com. Next week, we have a very exciting episode coming up. We're going to feature the Chrysler Building. We figured... It's one of the most beautiful, one of the most amazing buildings in New York. What are we waiting for? And so. we want to go visit. <laughs> anyway, thanks a lot for listening. Have a great New York week, whether you live here or not. See you next week. <laughs>